podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Like a sneeze that never comes, Old Trafford waited in discomfort and expectation for the goal that wouldn't go in against Newcastle United on Sunday afternoon. A nil-nil draw for Eric Ten Hag's team. The most unsatisfying and frustrating result in football. A very warm welcome, nevertheless, to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Harry Robinson and with me as always is Jack Tate. And today we're reviewing our Geordie stalemate with the emphasis on our discussion on finishing Anthony's limitations, missing Christian Eriksen the positives and negatives of playing out from the back, Ronaldo's frustrations and just a couple of refereeing decisions as well. Later in the show, you'll get your regular extensive youth and loan roundup and then we'll preview another big match against the top six rival Tottenham Hotspur. Right at the end, it'll be time for our bonus patron Q&A where we've got a few interesting questions with a bit of a theme on rotation and how Eric Ten Hag will manage that. Jack, let's begin. It was a very frustrating game. After the Omanir game, you, Kane and I all reacted in quite a similar way by saying it was a generally positive performance that lacked a bit of cutting edge and lacked the finishes required, but that overall it was a positive. Do you feel the same after this game or is it just a, an overwhelmingly frustrating result? In the immediate aftermath, it was it was obviously more difficult to feel good about, about United after this game. A, obviously the result, but I also do not do think this performance was, was worse and obviously playing a much better standard of opposition in Newcastle compared to Omania. I think first half, I thought we started well and dropped off a lot, allowed Newcastle back into the game. And obviously with the penalty shout that wasn't given and then Joel Linton hitting the bar on the post were maybe even a bit lucky to go in at half-time level. I thought second half, we were very good. And I, and I thought that continued a lot of the progress that we saw both against Everton and against Omania on Thursday. There are definitely positives to be taking out of all of these games that United are playing at the moment. But I do still think that it's, it's not, I think the reason I was, I was okay with what happened against Omania, and I said on that episode that even if this had ended nil-nil, I would have struggled to criticise United too much, was because the chances were there against Omania throughout the entire game. It wasn't like we were just having... You know, it wasn't like those 30 shots were all from complete half chances that had extremely low chance of ever going in. We were creating good chances right the way throughout the game. I think Newcastle was a bit of a different story in that even in the second half, we controlled the game for large part portions of it. But really until the last five minutes or so, we didn't really create anything. Yeah. Absolutely. 15 shots, only two on target, which tells you two stories. Doesn't tell you the full story of anything, but it hints at two conclusions. One, that the chances, one, that our finishing was poor and, and our shooting was poor. And the second being, we weren't creating very high quality chances if if that was the, the result. No goals and, and very few of them on target. Let, let's talk a little bit about why we struggled in terms of that. Because in theory, look at that team and maybe forget Ronaldo because he's not really a chance creator at the moment other than sometimes he can pull a long shot out of nothing. But you've got two very creative players in Anthony and Jaden Sancho. You've got Bruno Fernandes who, when he's playing well, is an is a incredible chance creator even if he does, even if he's making lots of attempts to, to make some successful ones. Ultimately, he is creating a lot of chances and you've got a, a pretty positive pair of fullbacks in Luke Shaw who can be great on the ball and Dallow who has shown a little inconsistently but has shown that he does have some quality going forward. So what what was the problem? The obvious one is, is to say we were missing Christian Eriksen, isn't it? And and that clearly was a big thing, but it's not the only reason, is it? It, it, was, a, it was a big part of it. But I think, to be fair, I think Eriksen 
Ericsson's role in this United team and where we missed him, I think, was more in getting the ball to those front players in good spaces. I don't think it was really so much in chance creation. You know, Ericsson is playing so much deeper than we, we all expected him to. His role hasn't been to be a chance creator in this United team. It's almost been to be more of a facilitator for the other creative players further ahead of him on the pitch. We did struggle with that, but I don't think the chance creation, the lack of chance creation could be put down to Ericsson not being there. I think, to be honest, it's just... It's been a bit of a theme of the season. You know, United have now scored, was it 13 goals, I think, in the league this season? And our expected goals are right around there as well. I think our expected goals is around 13 and a half. So we're just not a team that's creating a whole lot of chances this season. With We have creative players on the pitch, but I think, you know, maybe with the exception of Anthony, they aren't really players that will create something themselves out of nothing. And even Anthony, you know, he's still a very raw player that, and we saw some of his limitations, which we'll speak about. I think they have, they're players that rely more on combinations, on other players making good runs to find them, on being able to work in tandem together. Well, we mentioned that with Sancho on Thursday's episode. We've mentioned it with Bruno Fernandes in the past. Ronaldo, obviously, like you mentioned, isn't really at a point in his career when where sort of link-up play is his strength. I think it's just a, a problem that United haven't managed to figure out yet. I don't think... Newcastle was maybe the most obvious example of it simply because we had more of the ball. And so then the, the problem shifted away from general control of the game specifically onto chance creation. Yeah. But there's been plenty of other games this season where we've, we have not been able to create chances, but it maybe just hasn't been highlighted because we just haven't seen much of the ball in general. Fell up, that brings up, first of all, in terms of our finishing before we go deeper into chance creation it was poor and we didn't create enough chances but there were two goals we should have scored yeah. in Fred and Rashford and they should have buried them both so that I mean it's a very different game and and to fair that, that goes back a little bit to after Omnia we said we didn't mind because it was generally positive performance but one of the problems with that is it might not take away belief from the team, but it doesn't give any confidence to the team. Had Rashford scored against Dominia or had United won three, four or five nil, Rashford probably would have shot for that Fred chance that he crossed to him with confidence and he may have buried the header later on. So that was the kind of hangover from the Omnia game, I think. The other point I thought of when you were speaking there is, is you spoke about we controlled the game, so all the emphasis was on chance creation. That was, I guess, one of the positives was we controlled the game pretty well. Probably the best I, I remember seeing in a while, and that's a, a, a one of the real Ten Hag influences. But you also spoke about Anthony. I think he's probably a, a really interesting kind of case study for this team because he was positive again and did not have a bad performance and in fact had some good moments but it comes down to this thing where he doesn't look like he's very he's got enough variation to his game which is something Ten Hag said after the Everton game he said he's a good dribbler but he needs more variation and I think the reason Anthony's really interested in, in this Newcastle game is because there's two parts to this he, he doesn't at the moment, he isn't offering enough variety. And part of that is his responsibility. So he needs to use and improve his right foot. He needs to head to the byline sometimes. He needs to not cut inside sometimes. He needs to change up how he's crossing. He needs to do that and he needs to get better. And, and Tanag said that, and I'm sure Anthony agrees. And the problem is because, I think we mentioned this in brief, it's just too predictable. And the fact that he isn't, he hasn't got that variation to the game is forcing United backwards to play around the area constantly with ever finding that final ball because the defender can just show him inside and, and cover that inside. Uh, and then Anthony passes back and we recycle and recycle. But the other part of it is there is a team responsibility to this. It's uh, his teammates have to offer those one twos and, and a cross 
in the wide areas or want to and shoot for him or he needs to arrive at the back post for a left wing cross but those crosses aren't coming in and I thought the support he got from mainly Dallow who I thought was really poor uh, but also Varane and Casemiro and Fred and Bruno uh, and primarily there maybe Ronaldo as well was so far from good enough that his options at any one point when he got the ball were so limited. And Dallow was so, so poor and so stuck to staying inside and not overlapping. You wonder if it was actually a tactical instruction. Maybe. But at one point, I remember standing on the Stretford end and seeing Luke Shaw coming over to the right back position to offer Anthony support because he was so stuck there. And I thought that that really highlighted the, the, the problems with United's attack. It just hasn't got the fluency and the understanding of, of its roles yet to support each other and to make it a, a varied kind of threat rather than this just static and, and just unthreatening uh, force. Yeah, well, on, on Anthony first, I think, you know, it's something we, we spoke about before that is something he'll he'll need to improve going forward. There are very, very few players that have been as one-footed as him. There was a good piece in, I think it was The Athletic, kind of analysing Anthony's one-footedness. And if he kept going at his current rate, I think he'd be the most one-footed player the Premier League has ever seen, at least in terms of touches and, and goals scored. It is something that he needs to develop. And he's obviously a, a very good player and he's able to kind of overcome that. A lot you don't score in each of your first three Premier League games if you don't have a good ability to still produce at a high level, even with that one-footedness. But I thought Anthony had a great game between the boxes. I thought he, he skinned Dan Burns so many times yeah. on our right wing. So many moments where the game seemed to be sort of slowing down a little bit. And he was the one injecting some pace into it. So many good touches on the half turn. But the problem was he, he would get past Dan Burns, he'd get five yards in front of him but then he'd end up having to turn back because he he had to be on his left foot. And it's something that he just needs to get confident enough, I think, to be, to just do simple things with his right foot, just to be able to play, you know, crop, like low crosses across the box and simple passes on his right foot, just so that when he does create those, those moments where he creates you know, five yards of space for himself, five yards of space in the Premier League is, is huge. You don't get that many times yeah. in the game and you've got to be taking advantage of it when you do. It, it's not all the only, him. Yeah, I was, I was just going to, I'm sure you're about to say this, so sorry for interrupting, but when he was breaking forward, the problem is when, when Rashford was on the pitch, by the time Rashford came on in, in the, around the 75th minute, Newcastle were properly sitting yeah. back and holding on for the nil-nil draw. Earlier in the game, when Anthony had been getting that space in behind, there'd been no striker running off the shoulder to pass to. So... Yes, he didn't use his right foot, but there really was no opportunity for kind of that early cross to kind of the, just in between the running back centre back and the running out goalkeeper. So you'd, you'd you'd be placing that early cross kind of on the penalty areas D on the edge of the penalty area, and you'd be hoping your, your striker's going to run onto that. Ronaldo hasn't got the pace or the movement at the moment for that. His his good movement is just within the box, really, rather than uh, off the shoulder of the defence. I'm sure that's what you're about to say, but God. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, it, it also relies on having a lot of support because it's all well and good creating that space, but then you need, you need people to be able to pass it when you, when you create that space. And that, that wasn't there as much yet. And it's something that we've said about Ronaldo for a while. And Kane actually was on the podcast on Thursday, had some good tweets about this after the game, just kind of showing Ronaldo had a big tendency in the game to kind of drift out wide, probably looking for the ball because especially in the first half, he wasn't involved too much. But it ended up meaning that when Anthony did make some of those really good runs and, and give, get himself a few yards of space, 
it was then difficult to capitalize on it just because there weren't very many obvious options around. On on the other part of what you said about, you know, you mentioned Dallow coming inside a lot and Shaw going out to right wing at one point for a few seconds and just this United team sometimes being lacking ideas. I think on Dallow and Shaw in particular, I think what you're seeing is is just it's it's players very clearly adapting to new instructions that go against what has been ingrained in them for you know 10, 15 years of playing at a high level. Because I think, especially with Dallow, that you can sort of see it a bit more. I think it's pretty clear that Ten Hag has obviously told him to, to push in field, give us another passing option inside, and then let Anthony kind of have that space that it creates by the touchline. But I think what you're sort of seeing is that there are, because Dallow is having to work so hard to, to sort of consciously make the effort to push inside and to not go out on the touchline where you know, his game has naturally taken him for his whole career, it can end up being too accentuated. And he, there are moments when he needs to make that run on the outside, but because he's thinking so much about staying inside, he, ca- he can't sort of do it. Yeah. You mentioned with, with Kane that it's been odd to me that Shaw, of all the of, of United's fullbacks this season, Shaw has been the one playing this kind of inverted role the least when he's probably the best on the ball of all of them. He's the one you would want in that midfield role the, the most out of any of them. And I think that is sort of another example where I think Shaw is maybe reacting to those new instructions in a slightly different way to Dalla where he maybe isn't thinking about it so much and he's just kind of playing his natural game. He did come inside a lot more against Newcastle, which makes me think it was a, a real focus for this game in particular. Yeah. But I think you are just kind of seeing... United players really trying to figure out how to adapt to Ten Hag's in, in instructions and in particular the fullbacks where they're getting new instructions, they don't, they don't feel natural at it yet. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing where they, they aren't comfortable enough yet to say in certain game situations, I need to push inside. In certain game situations, I need to go out wide yeah. and support the winger. And it's sort of all been... The manager has told me to go inside. I'm going to stay inside. Yeah, that's very possible. And that's that's no, well, it's not a good thing, but it's no bad thing. It's not a, a huge negative. We said, I think, I can't remember whether it was after the Everton game or I can't remember. In a, in a recent episode, we spoke about how the first things managers do when they come into a club is, is get a solid defence because the hardest thing and the thing that takes the longest time is to create a, a fluent attack with, a, with an identity. And at the moment, Manchester City and Arsenal have that in absolute abundance, having had plenty of seasons to work on that. You know, I have off the top of my head probably the two longest tenured managers in the league. Yeah, and United just are. It's a really disjointed attack, and you, you mentioned Ronaldo drifting out wide. That was another sign of it. And Dallow was just. I, 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 I believe what you're saying, but it was, it was, it was so infuriating because not yeah. he wasn't tucking inside. So if you watch Arsenal. And we might speak about this later when we're previewing the Tottenham game because the only team to beat Tottenham in the league this season is Arsenal. And and so I I went and looked back at that game to see if there's any hints at what United could do. But when you watch their attack, there's a a five-man attack of, it depends who it is, but let's just take the right side, for example. You'd have Saka there and then you'd have Odegaard stepping in into that attack and you'd have Jesus. When Saka goes inside, Jesus will come out wide. And there's a, a very clear kind of five areas of the pitch that at each point will have one Arsenal attacker in them and they interchange in those and we've seen that with United in the past you see it with loads of teams it's a pretty basic concept but what what elevates their game against Spurs at least was Ben White stepping out of defence and kind of acting in that Dallow role where Saka would have the ball on the right wing 
and Ben White would support him just inside just to make, say Saka can't cross or can't get a run into the box to shoot, to make that pass back from Saka into midfield just a little bit easier. So instead of having to kind of curl this pass to the edge of the penalty area, just pop it off to White and he'll pop it off into the middle to party or to uh, whoever else is in there. And if Dallow had been operating in that role, kind of sat on the corner really of the penalty box and just a couple of yards away from that, it was fine. But instead what he was doing was he's basically kind of just breathing down Anthony's neck about 10 yards behind him, but offering no kind of positive passing option and it just held United back massively and, and I don't want to completely go in on Dallow because as you say this is, a prob- this is a learning curve and that's fine and that's kind of what we expect under a new manager and a new manager whose style of play is very different to what we've seen before and the intensity of instructions and, and how much he instructs his players is very different but there, there are other examples on the pitch but we won't go through them all uh, but yeah so I, th- I think in a weird way, th- these performances still look like they lack identity a bit, but there are signs that we're picking up Ten Hag's methods. And I think we're seeing some improvement in playing out from the back and, it, and in bringing the ball backwards to yeah. go forwards and, and in how we have patience so around the area. That, I, would, I would say as Yeah, well. there were a couple of really good moments on, under pressure. It's not good yet. It's definitely not good yet. And I would expect us to concede a goal from a mistake like that. We came close on Sunday against Newcastle and expect us to concede a goal after playing out from the back within the next few weeks. But it is getting I, I, a little bit better. You said it, it's not good yet. I agree with that. I think I think it is good in spells. It's just not consistent enough to be good as a whole. Like they're right off the bat actually against Newcastle, we kept the ball for about 90 seconds right off the bat from the very first whistle from kickoff. I think it ended with Ronaldo misplacing a pass out. Who would have thought? Uh, for a throw to Newcastle but I've never seen United play like that at the start of a game yeah. and obviously the start of a game is a little bit easier the game is sort of set for you in some ways but there was it, just Newcastle sorry there was, there was an actual noise reaction because normally teams just hump it forward at, at kickoff and, yeah. and try and win a, th- a header or a throw in there was a genuine reaction of sound in the ground when the team just went back of confusion of the team just went back and started playing between themselves and we we actually got ourselves into a bit of trouble pretty quickly but played played out of it as you say yeah, successfully in the left back area wasn't it when yeah. Martinez and Shaw got in a bit of trouble yeah and, their way and out of it. there was a, a sense of nervousness around and, to, and for those watching on TV there is a there is a nervousness at Old Trafford and I, I think this is true with all football crowds all around the world that fans instinctively are nervous and a bit hostile to yeah. a style of play like this when they're not used to it. And United at the moment is pretty hostile to it. And there's lots of people calling for Dea to kick it long when he gets the ball because people have seen the mistakes against Brentford and Brighton. It makes yeah. sense. And, and, it's, and it's understandable. And it takes, it, it not only needs trust between the players, but I think for the fans to kind of get behind it as well, it takes trust from the fans in the players we definitely don't have that yet. I think the other one that really stood out to me, we've mentioned the Anthony goal against Arsenal as sort of the template for how we, this United side wants to play in possession where keep the ball for long spells, but it's not it's not with any lack of purpose. You're moving it quickly at a good tempo, draw the opposition onto you to then create space. And the period that led up to the Sancho penalty appeal was a, a great example of that as well. If you go, go back and watch the game, United end up, we, we keep the ball for a really, really long time in, in the build-up tack. So Sancho goes down 
or for the penalty appeal, I think it's at 55, no, I think it's even later than that. It's at 57, like 30, I think, in the game, something like that. We, we get won a free kick in our right back area at like 54 minutes, 50. And we kept the ball that entire time. So almost three minutes. I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm sure it has happened, but in controlled possession, where a team isn't just kind of parking the bus, you're trying to chase a late goal or something. I don't remember a United team being capable of keeping the ball for that, that long yeah. period of time. And, and actually, we were going backwards a part of that, obviously, but it felt like it was all at a good tempo. It was, there was purpose behind it. It wasn't just kind of aimlessly kicking the ball around the back and not going anywhere. Yeah, and it goes back to what you said earlier in the Dallow example that the players are learning this because there's a there's a balance to it that's not quite right yet in that there were periods of two or three, four minutes where we were playing it around the Newcastle area, then going backwards, yeah. and there were kind of several opportunities to shoot that were rejected for another pass and then another pass. And I think that goes down to the cop. Had we beaten Omanir, those shots might have been taken. But there is a good patience to United's play now, and yeah. as you say, with, with a little bit of intent. Um, we're going to have to move I, I, on shortly. The, the other but, thing I, yeah. sorry, I just quickly want to say is that we've talked a lot about how United are good in attacking transitions, bad in defensive ones. And I think what we're seeing currently, and we saw a lot against both Omania and Newcastle, is that United still struggle to create chances outside of those transitions. But that, that sort of template of keeping the ball, drawing an opposition onto you, and then exploiting the space that leaves behind, you almost create a transition-like situation for yourself. Because So in, in the example of the, the leading up to the Sancho penalty appeal, we draw Newcastle onto us, Anthony and Casemiro have the ball in our sort of right-back position, and then eventually Casemiro is able to spring a pass out to Fernandez in, in, off towards the left side. And all of a sudden, we've then got 50 yards of space to run into. Newcastle kind of out of position because we've worked the ball so well. So even though we haven't won the ball back, it's not a transition. The, the situation it creates in terms of the lack of structure in Newcastle's defence and also the space that we have to work into, it, it is almost like we've just won the ball back because that is the situation you've created that is, those are the kind of things United need to do more of because we clearly aren't good enough at this point in time to create chances consistently when a team has is able to really easily shut down space. Yeah, agreed. We'll talk a few more points on on the ref and uh, on substitutions, but this was a uh, we're introducing a new feature called Guess the Player, and we'll move on to that before we have a, another couple of minutes on on the Newcastle game. So a feature we meant to introduce at the start of the season, but never got round to. With so much to talk about after games against Brentford and Brighton and Arsenal, Liverpool, um, which there, there was plenty to talk about after a nil nil draw. It seems the appropriate time to bring it in. So this week, I will be giving three clues maximum to Jack to guess a current or former Manchester United player or notable figure. So it could be a member of a coaching team as well. Uh, there'll be three clues throughout the show. You can guess as you're listening as well. And it will obviously be harder at the start to get it. If Jack gets it from the first clue, he'll get three points. If he gets it from the second clue, two. And from the third clue, one. And none if he doesn't get it at all. And next week, Jack will set clues for me. And we'll see who comes out best uh, come the end of the season. So Jack, I'm going to give you your first clue now. You can make a guess after it. If I if I guess think. after the first clue, does that stop me from guessing after the next two? Am I just out? That's an undecided. What are your <laughs> okay. thoughts on that, given we'll both be playing this game? Um, I think maybe if you get one wrong, e- even if you then get it on the second one, you still okay, only yeah, get one. I like point. that. But you should still agreed. be able to guess. Because otherwise we'll just wait all the time until yeah, the last yeah, one. Yeah, so yeah, agreed. All right, for your first clue is the following. I am one of only two English former Manchester United players 
to manage a team in the Champions League. I am one of only two English former Manchester United players to manage a team in the Champions League. I'll let you either guess or we can move on and, and you can hold that in your head. And I'll put it in our notes so you can actually see it while... Uh... Yeah, I think I've, just, I've, just, I've just written it down. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a few names in mind, but I think I'm going to wait for the second clue. Okay, okay. I won't ask for the few names for now. We'll go on. Um, let's, let's talk more about the Newcastle game. Uh, we've got a question from Marek Garbowski, one of our long-serving patrons. He says it was a very frustrating game and we agree. He says, would you agree the second half subs were done too late into the game? It felt that half-time substitutions would have served the purpose of getting a positive result. I think we were limited with the bench, really. Uh, I think Rashford could have come on early. I thought Ronaldo was pretty poor. And then when he was subbed off, he just walked off slowly kind of taking in the applause of the crowd. And it was like, come yeah. on. I felt it was really poor. And uh, he was constantly offside on Sunday as well because he was stropping about a previous unplayed pass or a mischance. It was it was a poor day for him after having had a couple of better performances with application and, and, and in terms of how we contributed to overall play. Um, so it was disappointing to see him regress back to a, a poor performance. This was really average. Um, I thought Fred was really loose. <laughs> I used that term to describe him a lot last season. Though he was really loose with everything he did. Missed tackles, fouls given away, poor passing. It wasn't wasn't great for him. And, and obviously a few big chances missed as well. So in terms of subs, yes, they could be made earlier, but the only option really was Rashford and Alanga or to bring on Lindelof. Uh, oh, I guess at some point during the game, I said maybe we could bring Malassia on and, and go to a five at the back with someone released at wing-backs to get a bit more emphasis there and take one of the midfielders off. And it would have been Fred because I was very frustrated with him at the time. Uh, <laughs> the subs bench was weak was the problem. But yeah, I think Rashford yeah, should have been yeah. brought on earlier because Ronaldo wasn't wasn't doing the job. Yeah, I, I agree. Rashford was the obvious sub. I completely understand why he didn't start the game if he's been ill. And I, I, that probably played a little bit into, into Ten Hag's hesitancy to bring him on, I imagine, because he probably wanted him fresh for the Spurs and Chelsea games that we have coming up. But he was the obvious sub. Ronaldo clearly wasn't having his best day. I understand why as well why there might have been a temptation to keep Ronaldo on because it feels almost silly in some ways to take him off when you're chasing a goal. But quite frankly, he just wasn't he wasn't up to up to snuff on the day. There is there is some justification for that argument though he most likely would have scored the Rashford chance at the end. I mean, yeah, but I, I mean, would he have even been in that position? I know, I know, I know. I'm just, uh, in terms of most likely to come up with the big moment at the end and, and actually do the finish. So I can, I can see why Ten Hag left him on, is my point. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, the problem with the subs is that, again, we've talked about this before, how one player can change so much about how you feel about the depth that you have and we've mentioned that in a number of positions in, in United, mostly at centre-back, but even in midfield, Ericsson, I think, has massively papered over the cracks of United's lack of depth in midfield. But with him out and McTominay suspended, you know, then with Fred playing... McTominay was big as well, yeah. Yeah, and, and then with Fred playing, our, our options on the bench were Zidane Iqbal, really, was, yeah. the, was the option you could bring off or bring on off the bench. And I think Zidane Iqbal showed in pre-season, he, he can play at this level but he's not someone you can bring on with a whole lot of confidence that he's going to change the game and so it, it was difficult with that in that sense I mean maybe we could have changed formation maybe you bring Fred off and go two up top with Rashford but I mean that's also a risk because Newcastle were, certainly won they weren't playing like an Omnia style game at that point there was still a little bit of a threat from them coming forward yeah. so it, it was a bit of a dilemma yeah. and again just shows United's midfield depth is still lacking 
yeah, I mean, we needed to sign another one. We all knew that. Final thing before we move on, the officiating. There were two big, well, actually several big penalty shouts. I was very surprised in person that the Varane on Callum Wilson one early on wasn't given as a penalty. Yeah, so was I. Even more surprised now I've seen it back. And the Sancho one didn't really notice at the time in the ground, but... I'm shocked that wasn't given. He's, uh, he's blatantly taken down and I can't believe that wasn't over To be honest, I think there's a very good argument there should have been three penalties in the game because there was the Trippier on Ronaldo one as well. I, I think the Sancho... I haven't, see, I haven't seen that one because that one's not included in like highlights packages. So I, I haven't actually seen that. Is that worthy I, of a penalty as well? I, I personally think it is. It, it's one of those ones where defenders are often able to kind of get away with a lot immediately after a player has, has had a shot. Like if you kind of take someone out right after they've had a shot, it generally isn't given as a foul. Trippier basically comes in and there's way, way, way more contact on Ronaldo than there was for the Sancho one, for example. Right. And Trippier kind of hits Ronaldo's right leg as he's about to shoot with his left. And that was why the shot from Ronaldo goes just straight out of play because it just pushes his whole body off balance. And there is a lot of contact there. I... Again, I can sort of understand why it wasn't given because it does look a little bit odd in that it's a situation where fouls aren't always given. But I think, to me, it looks like Trippier hits Ronaldo quite significantly before he Ronaldo hits, strikes the ball. So I think there's a good argument. But I think the other two were definitely penalties. And I mean, how they're not given on VAR, I, I just don't know. It was an odd weekend for VAR really, round again. Yeah, it was an infuriating game as well. Uh, part yeah. Also because of the time wasting that was from the first yeah. minute. And it's not the reason United lost. And, and I'm not even going to slate Newcastle that much for it because ultimately no. they were doing what they could get away with. And it was just, uh, I, uh, half an hour in, I genuinely turned to my brother and said, I'm, I'm just bored here because I haven't. <laughs> it, we're half an hour in and I've seen at most 15 minutes of football because this is an endless, people going down, uh, people taking ages over goal kicks. And you just thought, this is... If, if, if the heads of football who constantly bang on about the competition from esports and gaming and, and Netflix and stuff in terms of attracting kids to watching the Premier League and the Champions League and leagues around the world, if they genuinely knew anything about what they were doing, which they don't, then one of the key things they would focus on would be time wasting because I was actually bored. And if I was watching at home as a neutral, yeah. I just would have turned that game off. It was boring. And it was all and like because... Said, it's not Newcastle's fault. They're, yeah, they're, I mean, they're it is a little what bit. They can, <laughs> what they can get away with. Yeah, but it, the referee just had absolutely no interest. And all throughout the game, yeah. I thought it was a really inconsistent kind of refereeing decisions all throughout. And and, and and that goes for both teams. It was a very strange, not strange, yeah, it was. come to be expected. It was just really poor and made it a, a dull spectacle, actually. And another another way that United really need to, yeah. I guess, kind of Definitely. mature as a team and be less naive because it was so clear from... It felt like, do you remember that year when United went to St. James's and got beat 3-0 and every single goal was from a long ball from Tim Krull? <laughs> and I, I don't know, it probably would, would have been like 2015, 2014 yeah. maybe. And it felt almost similar to that in that Newcastle very clearly, any time they got a dead ball, just wanted to pump it long into the box, let their centre-backs go up, let Joel Linton go up, go up for it. And how many times do we give away fouls in our own half? in dangerous positions. Yeah. Not I only know, do yeah. they have clearly trying to put balls in the box, but also got 
one of the best free kick takers in the league and Kieran Trippier you'd think Dallow, that would be a- another another massive Dallow. stain on Dallow's performance as well he can't, he does that so often yeah. just conceding needless fouls and Bruno does it as well actually um, and then also yeah. yeah in terms of the naivety letting them time waste and not getting that's where you need your captain to step in very early in the game and say to the ref what is going on we're like we're not going to play if it's going to be like this this is ridiculous um, yeah. yeah yeah it was poor and it made it boring something that isn't boring I'm going to give you a second um, guess the player clue <laughs> and then we'll move on to a women's youth and loan roundup and then we'll have a Spurs match preview right, this so, isn't this isn't my guess but I'm going to tell you okay. the person I'm, I think it's most likely to be at the moment is I think Gary Neville managed one or two Champions League games with Valencia that's the that's okay. the name that's on the tip of my tongue but it's, that's not my official guess yet okay your second clue I was born in Wool's End and played for the local boys club. I was born in Wool's End and played for the local boys club. I'm going to stick with it. Gary Neville. No. Oh, damn it. So what do we do? Now you've guessed on the second. Do we give you a point when you, if you get it on the last one? If I get it on the third one. I guess so. Wait, did Gary Neville not, not manage in the Champions League? For, for he did. Valencia? He managed Valencia, but it was one of two. Oh, see, I've written the clue down wrong. <laughs> it was I am one of only two English former Manchester United players to manage a team okay. in the Champions League okay right, so, well, yeah, I guess I'll wait for the second clue then yep and it's coming up after the women's youth and loan roundup which we'll go into now With an emphatic 4-0 win over Brighton on Sunday lunchtime, Manchester United women headed top of the Women's Super League. A third win in three games, 10 goals scored, none conceded, nine points. Ella Toon scored twice in the first half, with Leah Golton adding another before the break before Adriana Leon, a summer signing from West Ham, scored her first WSL goal for the club late on. It's a fantastic, emphatic win and obviously a good start to the season. In the under-21s, an extraordinary injury time double from Shola Shuratere secured a 3-3 draw for United under-21s at Chelsea on Saturday. Isa Cantonaran's powerful centre-of-the-area strike gave United a 25th-minute lead. Kobe Mainu having made the chance with some good footwork. And more chances followed, actually, and good ones at that. But the score remained 1-0 up to the break at a very rainy Kings Meadow away from home. Substitute Charlie McNeil had a goal disallowed for offside just a minute into the second half and another chance snuck wide by the keeper. And then Chelsea equalised through Lewis Hall, meeting a right wing cross at the back post. Cesare Casadei headed the Blues in front after 58 minutes and Jude Sunset Bell seemed to steal victory for Chelsea in the 82nd minute. He converted from close range, having come on only a minute before. But... It didn't seal victory. Shuratire met a hopeful McNeil ball to steal a goal back 95 minutes in and just 30 seconds later, he found another tapping in from Mark Gerardo's cutback. It was a really good first half performance actually against a good team. United again didn't show the, the clinical edge to their game that's needed in these fixtures. But getting a point was the least the team deserved, even if it required the most incredible late comeback. But yeah, the team needs to be a bit more clinical on. That's how Mark Dempsey, the lead coach, uh, summed it up after the game. In low news, Ahmad showed his quality for Sunderland in a 2-1 win against Wigan Athletic. He came on at halftime with the Black Cats trailing 1-0 and helped them to an important comeback. Manager Tony Mowbray said, I think that's the best we've seen of him. He also opened up a bit more after and said, he's a wonderful, wonderful footballer. He just has to add the end product. 
Hannibal played almost the full game for Birmingham City as they beat Hull City 2-0 away from home. Goalkeeper Mate Kovars, Sparta Prague 1-5-2 against Pardubice. Kovars' team are currently third in the Czech top flight. Alvaro Fernandez's Preston were beaten 2-0 at home by Stoke. Ethan Galbraith's Salford City lost to Bradford City. And as for those players who didn't uh, enjoy any action this weekend, Ethan Laird remains out with a small hamstring concern for QPR and centre-back Will Fish and right-back Charlie Wellens were unused subs for Hibernian and Oldham Athletic, respectively. Okay, Jack, before we preview the match against Tottenham, on Wednesday night I think it's an 8.15 kickoff. actually I think it's one of the Amazon weeks so that's always frustrating as a as a match going fire and 8.15 is just a, a odd and terrible time too late in the day 7.45 was invented for a reason um, I'll give you your third guess to play a clue so if you get it from this you'll get one point if you don't get it then I will reveal it for the listeners after our Tottenham preview so your final clue I'll I'll quickly run through the first two again. The first clue was, I am one of only two English former Manchester United players to manage a team in the Champions League. And clue number two was, I was born in Wolves End and played for the local boys club. The third clue, I joined Manchester United in 2006 and won every trophy possible in my 12-year midfield career. So I think I got it after, as you were talking in between the clues, because... Not gonna lie, I, I made my guess on Gary Neville with no idea where Wall's End was, and I still don't know where it is. <laughs> I was sort of hoping it was a neighbourhood in or near Bury because I knew I know that's where Gary Neville grew up, and I thought he was the only English player for United to have managed in the Champions League because I wrote the clue down wrong. But I think yeah. I was thinking before that Michael Carrick may have uh, the Wall's End might be near Newcastle, which is where Michael Carrick is from. Going to assume that's true because I think that clue was one hundred percent about Michael Carrick. Yes, you're absolutely right. Wall's End is is near Newcastle. Wall's End Boys Club is a, a famous local club there. For many many uh, graduates have gone on to play in the Premier League and for England. And yes, Michael Carrick, twelve year midfield career, over four hundred appearances, uh, twenty four goals, and every single trophy possible. So you get one point on that, Jack. That um, the, the that first clue, by the way, feels like a great pub quiz question. Two English Man United players to manage. Yeah, the first clue was actually nicked. The second two were not nicked, but the first clue was nicked from uh, this the the latest United We Stand quiz. So the quiz that comes in the in the mag every month. One of the questions was name the player. Oh, sorry, no, it wasn't one of the questions. It was name the two managers to have right. two former English Manchester United players to have managed the team in the Champions League. So it wasn't. It was. It was inspired by rather than <laughs> completely lifted. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a great. I, I love that question. That is a great one. Me and my brother a while to work out. Yeah. It was a good way. It was a very useful quiz to do after a nil-nil draw when <laughs> there was plenty of frustrations to yeah. talk about and you needed something to just lift your mood ever so slightly. Well, because after, after the first clue, Gary Neville came to my head pretty much straight away. And then I could think of a lot of other ex-United players that, that were either English managers or had been managers and probably played in the chat, but not they weren't English. So that's why Gary Neville was sort of the only one that stuck yeah. in my head, but obviously forgot that one of Carrick's, what was it, two or three games was... In the who was that? Was that Atalanta yeah, Villar- or Villarreal? No, away at Villarreal. It was a massive oh, yeah. game actually. Got us through to the last stages. Yeah, one two one. Um, yeah, one of the first ones that came to mind when I was doing the you know we stone quiz was Mark Hughes because I just thought X United managed at City would have been in well, Champions yeah, League that, and then and then obviously yeah. memory as well. Yeah, exactly. And I don't even think he 
was City in the Champions League back when he was manager? Yeah, Probably not. I genuinely don't know on that. I'm sure he would have done that, Europa that was that, that was exactly what my thinking was too. Yeah. Uh, Steve Bruce has not quite hit the, the heady heights. Yeah. Um, right. Let's talk about Tottenham. Hopefully it'll be a less frustrating game. It's going to be a hard one. Tottenham are third in the league, seven wins from 10 games. They've only lost once to Arsenal. They've got a better goal scoring record than United, a better defensive record. At the moment, I think they're a better team. It's their better league start for 60 years, actually. Wow. They're toying with a few different formations at the moment. It's a bit weird to watch in Spurs, isn't it? Their key debate, because there's this debate, they're getting good results. Obviously, they've got a great league start compared to their history, but it's it's not been entirely convincing. And there's a big debate about whether they should be playing with three or, or four at the back at the moment. And yeah, it's, their, their struggle is against teams that sit back in the same way United's is. Against us, you'd assume they'll have a lot of space to counter-attack into and we've seen the danger of Son and Kane in that. So we're going to have to be careful on that given our problems with defensive transitions. Um, yeah, it, it is going to be hard, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, I think Spurs are a really weird team to kind of analyse this season. I, I remember looking at the table before they played Arsenal and feeling really shocked that they were unbeaten because I feel like throughout the season, you watch them... Yeah. And to be honest, it's quite hard to feel very inspired or massively impressed by Spurs, but they just keep getting results all the time. And, you know, you've got to give, give them credit for that, I guess. They keep things very tight at the back, which obviously doesn't bode well for United, given our, our recent difficulties creating chances anyway. You know, like you said, the, we've had issues with Kane and Son in particular in the past. And I think Spurs are one of the best teams around in those defensive transitions, like we mentioned, that they with Son and Kane and with the quality of Bentacle getting the ball forward and with the wing-backs flying forward, I think United losing the ball in midfield could spell massive trouble for us here because not only is that a weakness of us, but it's one of their biggest strengths. Yeah, I was just thinking we've had major issues with Son and Kane in October at home against Spurs, <laughs> up against the manager who's come in recently and has won the league with Inter Milan and Chelsea. So yeah. let's hope the comparisons don't, don't go any further than that because uh, that game ended 6-1. And that was very uncomfortable. I mentioned earlier that I'd looked at the uh, the North London derby because it's the only game that Spurs lost to see if there's anything we could do, copy Arsenal and, and emulate them on. But I fear not because as I said earlier, they're well-oiled, well-drilled and confident. And I spoke about they attack with five, defend with five and United just aren't that consistent and haven't got the attacking structures there. We, at the, as we spoke earlier with like Shaw coming over to right back, we just attack with who we've got basically. And we're too slow at it too often. We're not good at enough at stretching defences and, and creating space. We don't have it at the moment. We could show it against Spurs. That's not to say it's impossible. I just mean, I don't think we can learn that much from Arsenal, but I do think we could learn a bit from the centre-backs uh, supporting and and that's probably going to be Martinez or Varane or it could be Casemiro stepping up a bit higher and being that supporting role. But I think we also need a much better performance from the full-backs and hopefully Kristen Eriksen back as well. Yeah, I think this will be a really interesting test for United, especially with the full-backs because... Obviously, Spurs were playing five at the back. They sort of match up very differently to how we'll be used to, which I think can can be a good and bad thing for United, depending on how we kind of execute our plans. Because if we do push the fullbacks inside quite often, I think there is serious potential to overload Spurs in midfield. They yeah, because I mean, they've only got two in there. Haven't yeah, they? exactly. They, they might they might have three in there this week because Richarlison is out and Kulusevski might not be back yet. 
So maybe yeah, no switch to, to I've, I've just sorry, I've just seen a bit from Antonio Conte's press conference where he seemed to be saying he was tempted to stick with a three four three formation, which would mean only two midfielders. Right. That would be Benton Kerr and Hoiberg, yeah. which is what they've been playing recently, obviously with now Richarlison out. He seemed to be suggesting they'd stick with that and instead of adding Basuma into midfield and going three five two, they would add in one of Perisic, Lucas Mora or Brian Hill right. into the front three in place of Richarlison. So I yeah, if if they go with that, then you're really gonna want to try and focus on beating that midfield. Yeah. But that's not really what United are best at. It's not, it? but so you're going to need the fullbacks. Yeah, exactly. If you push one of those fullbacks inside at any given time, you know United could easily have sort of a four on two overload in there. Which either you're going to end up, well, in theory at least, having a lot of joy playing through the middle of the pitch, or you're going to drag one of the wing backs inside to follow the fullback, or drag one of the centre backs out, which should then give more space for the wingers. I think that really is where. That, that's the kind of the big tactical battle in this game because, again, it, it's always a trade-off and the, the difficulty there is that if United do have that overload in midfield from pushing the fullback inside, if we then lose the ball, there's so much space for Spurs who are then going to have three players in attack ready to pounce plus the yeah. wing-backs with a lot of freedom to go forward. So that is, I think, where this game will primarily be won and lost. It's, it's can United... I think Spurs are going to allow us to have a lot of the ball. I really do. I don't yeah. think this is going to be... A, anything like the Arsenal or Liverpool games for United I think we're going to dominate possession and Spurs are going to look to hit, hit us on the counter-attack maybe not quite as you know they're not going to sit back and like park the bus kind of thing but I reckon United will dominate the ball probably control the game but it's going to come down to can we create chances when Spurs are in their relatively deep defensive defensive line and also, can we deal well enough when we do lose possession to stop Spurs from breaking? Yeah, there's a couple of things I'd like to see that we have seen recently, but kind of not all at once. I, th- I can't remember how long ago it is. There's so many games, it's really hard to place these memories. But there was a game we spoke about, Bruno Fernandes coming over and supporting Anthony in the kind of in the inside right position. Yeah, it was, it was Everton. Right, where whereas he'd normally often done that in the inside left or he'd gone wide left completely he kind of has a tendency to go left in the same way Ronaldo does and Rashford which is why we've been so left dominant in recent years I'd like to see that again because I think it'll be really important to stretch the team and that could give Anthony a bit more support and it will allow Dallow to come inside so Dallow would almost replace Bruno in that that central position and Bruno would take up the kind of right back position and helping Anthony. I'd like to see those runs. I think they'll, they'll be really important. And I'd also like to see if Jaden Sancho is going to play on that left wing, which assuming Martial's not fit, you'd think Rashford will start this one up front rather than Ronaldo after the weekend. Assuming that and Sancho's going to be the left winger, you want to see him. I'd, I'd just love to see him coming inside more, especially if Bruno's going to go on to that. If if Bruno Bruno can go anywhere he likes, I'm just saying it'd be good to see those right positions. When he does, it would be great to see Sancho coming in and just try overload that right side, which we never do really. And, and maybe we'll surprise Spurs a bit, but also I think Sancho's quality in those central areas, we've not seen enough and he could be really helpful there if Bruno's going to be giving him the space to do that. Well, yeah, and again, if Sancho does come and come inside, it, it puts Tottenham in a bit of in a bit of a bind yet again because they don't have that many numbers in midfield. It, if you can, I think one of the, the difficulties with facing a team like Spurs who do play five at the back and have and are very good defensively with that formation is it can be really difficult to find any sort of space for your front players because there's always it seems like those three centre backs are like these kind of immovable objects that are just always there covering so much of the pitch that we have to try and draw at least one of those centre-backs out whenever we're in, in attack. 
And I think Sancho coming inside could make that happen massively. And like you said, it just if, if you can attack that right side, if that's kind of where Bruno Fernandes likes to operate the most, it seems like him and Anthony were developing a good relationship on that against Everton. You know, United should be trying to really hit on that side, get those overloads in that area. If you can then push Dallow inside, along with Sancho as well, you, you've kind of created overloads in two different areas of the pitch that we should be able to take advantage of. I agree with you. I expect Rashford to start up front. This is something we meant, talked about with Kane. How it's going to be a bit of a challenge for United because I think to get the best out of Rashford, you obviously want him playing on the left. But I think Ronaldo, at the moment, he is just offering so little in that striker role that I, I think it's worth getting maybe not quite the best out of Rashford to make the sum of the whole better. Yeah, agreed. Let's wrap up. Thank you for listening, everyone. For more from Jack throughout the week, we will be back on Thursday or Friday to react to the Tottenham game. But for in the meantime, you can find Jack on Twitter at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. I'm over at Harry Robinson 64 And the podcast itself is UTD Weekly Pod. That's where you can find information about how to sign up to become a patron as we go into our patron Q&A right now, where we'll talk about Victor Osman. We'll talk about rotation and various other bits. All, all interesting questions, all interesting conversations. So head to our Twitter for more information on that. Otherwise, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, consider leaving us a review on your chosen podcast app. Otherwise, speak to you in a few days. Have a good one and tell them. Goodbye. Network.